Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock Musical. Gimme head with hair, long beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, swinging, flax and wax. Gimme down the there, hair, shoulder length and longer. Here, baby, there, mama, everywhere, daddy, daddy, hair. Blow it down, show it down, long it's got to grow my hair. Let it fly on the breeze and get caught in the trees. Go home to the fleas in my hair. Otherwise known as, you know, hair. <laughs> I am with Benny today. Benny, how are you doing? Oh, he's, well, first of all, he's giving me a thumbs up. Okay, I see that. And he's giving me a uh, a high sign, a high five. Okay, I'm going to put my hand up to yours. I mean, it's, we can't touch, Benny. You're behind glass. But okay, bam, we just did the high five. And now you're raising both, you're raising the roof. Okay. <laughs> Benny's got a whole routine down today. We do not have Patty, unfortunately. Patty could not make this session. So it's just going to be Benny and I. But first, you know, before we do anything, how are you doing out there, fair listeners? I do want to provide a bit of a clarification. I was listening to last week's episode, and I sounded as if I had been fired from my job, and I just want to make it clear that I have not been fired from my day job. I am just having a rough go of it when it comes to my day job. Not to go into that all over again, I just want to clarify that I have not been sacked, although, you know, it could happen to the best of us. It's happened to me before. (laughs) So who knows? I might have some brand new information for you next week, six weeks from now, 40 weeks from now. Who knows? I do want to wish everyone a belated happy Valentine's Day to those who are coupled, to those who are single. I just want to spread some lovely pink and red love out into the world. And I also want to spread some love to these musical theater podcasts that deserve your love. Yes, if you've thought to yourself, hey, I gotta have more musical theater podcasting in my life. I want to hear more about musicals. Well, there are any number of other podcasts out there, and we're going to cite them for you now. I want to start with, these are in alphabetical order, by the way. There's Backstage Talk, which I believe the first episode just dropped. It does not have a profile on Twitter for the podcast itself, I should say, but if you go to at the Martin Acuna, that's T-H-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-A-C-U-N-A, you will find a link on that Twitter profile. Yes, I do believe so. Yes, I believe that's true. Let's move on to Bottomless Broadway, that's at Bottomless B-Way on Twitter, Bottomless B-Way. We have Broadway Babies, that's B-Way Babies on Twitter, B-Way Babies. And then we have Broadway Baby, that's Broadway Baby Pod on Twitter. Let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, of course, we have Jim and Tomic's Musical Theater Happy Hour. That may be Tomic. I do apologize, as always, for my mispronunciations. If you want to find them on Twitter, they are at Jim and Tomic, of course. We have A Music Musical Theater Podcast, that's at a musical pod. Musicals Taught Me Everything I Know, which does not have a Twitter profile, but you can find that easily via a simple Google search. Musicals with Cheese, that's Cheesy Musicals, C-H-E-E-S-E-Y Musicals on Twitter. My Little Tony.
Tonys, that's at My Little Tonys, appropriately enough. The original cast, that's at Original Cast Pod, putting it together, which is all about the lyrics of Stephen Sondheim, that's Sondheim Podcast, Showgaze, a movie musical podcast, at Showgaze, and finally, at the end of this delightful list, we have What the Musical, at What the Musical on Twitter. So again, all of those shows are out there. If you just can't get enough of musical theater talk in your podcasting diet, then tuck in with these, baby. That's our opening segment. I wanted to dedicate the opening segment to all of those shows. And now, speaking of show, let's get the show facts. Show me the show facts regarding hair. Hair, baby, hair. The show was conceived by James Rado. Hair, that is, was conceived by James Rado, a composer of musical reviews, and Jerome Ragney, who had worked with the Open Theater to develop experimental theater techniques. Rado and Ragney met while performing in the off-Broadway play Hang Down Your Head and Die, and it was their friendship, as well as their experiences with the young people of New York's East Village, that inspired them to create hair. A producer matched Rado and Ragney with Canadian composer Gout McDermott, who, as a husband and father living in Staten Island, could not have been further from the scene Hare hoped to capture. Nonetheless, the trio worked to give Hare its earliest shape, though for the most part McDermott worked independently from Rado and Ragney while composing the music. I don't think there were a lot of intimate group writing sessions, is what I mean to say. Hare wound up serving as the premiere production for Joe Papp's Public Theater in 1967. It ran at the public for a limited engagement of six weeks before moving on to Manhattan's Cheetah Nightclub. Fun fact about the Cheetah Nightclub, a live album called Where It's At, Cheetah, had previously been recorded there in 1966. That album featured performances by The Esquires, Mike St. Shaw and the Prophets, and the Thunder Frog Ensemble. Find me a better band name than the Thunder Frog Ensemble. I will wait. Joe Papp, who had worked with Chicago businessman Michael Butler to produce the Cheetah staging of Hair, chose to leave the show at that time rather than continue with it to Broadway. Butler took the reins at that point, and while many Broadway venue owners balked at the idea of hosting the controversial musical, he was able to persuade David Kogan into letting them perform at the Biltmore Theater. The rest as they say, is history. But let's get that history, shall we? More show facts, you say. More, more, more! Hair was a 1969 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on April 29th, 1968 at the Biltmore Theater and ran for 1,750 performances. It is currently the 46th longest-running show in Broadway history, sitting between La Caja Faux at number 45, 1,761 performances, and The Wiz at number 47, 1,672 performances. The book and lyrics were written by Jerome Ragney and James Rado, and the music was written by Galt McDermott. The director was Tom O'Hargan. The musical director was Galt McDermott. The choreographer, well, we have a dance director. The dance director was Julie Arenal. The scenic design was by Robert Kiernan. Lighting design by Jules Fisher. Sound design, Robin Wagoner. Costume design, Nancy Potts. And the original Broadway cast included Donnie Burks, Steve Curry, Laurie Davis, Ron 
Donald, Dyson, Sally, Eaton, Lita, Galloway, Steve, Garnett, Walter, Harris, Paul, Jabara, Diane Keaton, Diane Keaton, Diane Keaton, get that floppy hat off your head, Diane, you're playing a hippie, I do say, I assume this is the real Diane Keaton, I meant to look this up, oh no, let's assume it's the real Diane Keaton, shall we, uh, let's move on with this cast, Hiram Keller, Lynn Kellogg, Jonathan Kramer, Marjorie Lapari, Amaretta Marks, Melba Moore, Natalie Mosco, Susanna Nordstrand, Shelley Plimpton, James Rado, and Jerome Ragney in that cast. Oh, they put themselves in the cast. Oh, goodness gracious, you lovely little boys. Robert I. Rubinsky and Lamont Washington rounds us out. I do want to point out, however, that Ben Vereen eventually joined the Broadway cast and went on to perform as a member of the original West Coast production. So there you go. Hello, Ben. Always nice to see you. Ben, it's nice to see you. Tony nods. The show received two nominations, one for Best Musical, of course, and another for Best Direction of a Musical. That nomination went to Tom O'Horgan. Uh, but ultimately, two nominations, zero awards. No awards. I apologize to you, Hare. As Hare was running on Broadway, Michael Butler, the Chicago businessman we mentioned a moment ago, went on to open nine other productions in major cities throughout the United States, with the express goal of turning public opinion against the Vietnam War. The West Coast production, which featured Meatloaf as a cast member, opened just six months after the Broadway premiere. The first Broadway revival of Hair opened in 1977 and only ran for 43 performances, which leads one to wonder if the show was already being viewed as a time capsule, this once-in-a-lifetime lightning-in-a-bottle success that could not be recreated. By comparison, the popular 2009 revival ran for 519 performances, so perhaps it was a matter of letting uh, 60s nostalgia gestate long enough for boomers to recall and embrace it all over again. Hippies in the late 70s? That's corny, man. Hippies during a recession? Groovy, man! Or, you know, maybe no one wanted to hear about the Vietnam War two years after it had finally come to its miserable end. Seems like a reasonable theory. Here's a rundown of the, shall we say, mixed reactions Hare received worldwide. The hippies of San Francisco loved the original West Coast production and often meditated with the cast when they weren't appearing on stage. Princess Anne danced with the cast during a London performance when she was 18 years old. While we're on the subject of England, I should note how the Lord Chamberlain tried to prevent Hare from opening at the Shaftesbury Theatre, an act of censorship that resulted in his being stripped of power by the Parliamentary Theatres Act of 1968. Take that, Lord Chamberlain! Take that! Did I happen to mention Tim Curry's first major role in the theatre was as a member of this London cast? It's true! Hair's making stars out of everybody! Henry Kissinger caught the show on Broadway, but I have no clue how he felt about it. I think that I liked it. That's my Kissinger for you. A St. Paul clergyman thought he could scare audiences away from a Minnesota production by releasing 18 white mice into the lobby. Eek, 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 white mice! Astronauts Jim Lavelle and Jack Swigert, Swigert walked out of a Broadway performance in disgust, despite having already named the Apollo 13 lunar module Aquarius after the show's hit song. Wait, hippies dislike the government? Ah, oh, fuck this. Let's go to Space Jim. A great many American and international productions of Hair have received fierce criticism for its inclusion of nudity. We'll get some examples of that in a second. However, almost no one in Paris complained because the Parisians were all too familiar with nudity in the theater. Oh, nudity! Oui, oui, c'est tout banal! Oh, 
Reactions from various musicians and composers include this one from Leonard Bernstein, who walked out of the production, quote, the songs are just laundry lists, quote. Was he wrong, though? Richard Rogers claimed he could only hear the beat. Was he wrong, though? John Fogarty of Credence Clearwater Revival was known to say, quote, Hair is such a watered-down version of what is really going on that I can't get behind it at all. Was he wrong, though? <laughs> I don't like to play devil's advocate this much, but I can kind of see both sides here. I generally admire Rado and Ragni's spirit, but they were, at the end of the day, trying to commodify a movement by selling it to wealthy Broadway audiences, and you can't do that without losing something in the process. Hair is an imitation, a coagulate, not a true reflection. But I'm drifting into Final Thoughts territory already. We gotta back it up. Oh, here's John Lennon. What did he have to say about the show? Oh, he described it as dull. Well, John! <laughs> John Lennon really bringing out the tea right there. Would you like some tea? I found it to be dull. On the darker side of things, and don't say I didn't warn you, in April 1971, a bomb was thrown at the Hannah Theater in Cleveland, Ohio, where a production of Hair was being hosted at the time. The bomb bounced off the marquee and exploded near the curb, shattering 40 windows of the theater and causing damage to nearby storefronts in the process. Later that month, a fire broke out at the hotel where 33 cast members were residing. As a result, family members of one cast member died, as did the production's stage manager. I told you it got dark. I tried to warn you. A production in Acapulco, Mexico closed after one night. The government padlocked the theater, arrested the entire cast, and hauled them to immigration. The cast went into hiding for a time, but were ultimately expelled from the country. The original 1969 Munich production, which featured a young Donna Summer making stars out of everybody, this Munich production was threatened by authorities who objected to the nudity, of course. A spokesperson for the production pointed out that his relatives had been nude when they were marched into Auschwitz, and this effectively shut everyone up. Like a lot of the shows we've been covering as of late, Hair does not have a straight-shot narrative that one can easily summarize. It employs a hippie collective led by Claude, a young man who's been called to serve in the Vietnam War. The hippies are much like the onstage troops Broadway audiences would encounter in later musicals, such as Godspell and Pippin. They almost seem to exist outside of time and space, having gathered to extol the virtues of sex and drugs while ruminating on race, American history, history, and international politics. It's a survey of mood and perspective, if you will. A hippie salon, a hippie summit, a hippie jellicle ball. Say, what's this guy have to say for himself? What's your story? And how about you, lady? What the hell's your deal? Side note one, the full list of hippies is as follows. We have Dion, Berger, Woof, Hud, Claude, Sheila, Jeannie, and Chrissy. I'd like to think I'm a woof. I don't need to take the which hippie from hair are you quiz to know that. Woof, woof! Side note two, I like to believe the kids of hair go on to bear the sons and daughters depicted in Rent. If only these generations realized how much they have in common. The kids of Rent hate the system, live in squalor, and routinely deal with power outages while singing, just as their parents did. And you know what else they have in common? A love for the art of list-making. Ah, I see you and your pals at the Life Cafe are talking about bisexuals, trisexuals, homo sapiens, carcinogens, hallucinogens. <laughs> ah, that takes me back. See, in our day, we'd sing about sodomy, fellatio, cunnilingus, and pederast. Ah, say, where you going? Son, ah, don't leave the hot plate on when you leave the house, okay? 
Ah, kids these days, always in a hurry. Ah. Back to the subject at hand. At several points, the hippies adopt costume pieces to present what are essentially satirical morality plays, for which they act as broadly sketched authoritarian figures or icons like Abraham Lincoln, Scarlett O'Hara, and Aretha Franklin. A lengthy sequence in Act 2 depicts a hallucinatory war between Buddhist monks, Catholic nuns, Native Americans, astronauts, Green Berets, and the Chinese. This onstage war also calls Pippin to mind, as does the troops' need to influence the actions of its members. Pippin, don't start a family. Go to war. Kill yourself. Claude, don't go to war and get yourself killed. Stay with us and be a member of our hippie family. Parallels and inversions. This podcast is all about parallels and inversions. The only clear through line one can track is that of Claude, who finds himself torn between the community he's found and the expectations of his parents, not to mention the U.S. government. In the end, he goes to Vietnam, and the decision results in his death. It's an unsurprising yet dire conclusion, and so the writers chose to end the evening on a happy note by adding what has become one of Hare's signature numbers, the flesh failures let the sunshine in. Anyone who thinks hippies dancing around the body of a dead man actually counts as a happy ending has a unique outlook, but we'll circle back to this in a bit. Perhaps we should view Claude as the Grisabella of the piece, a pure soul who's chosen to sacrifice himself, and by doing so is able to ascend to the heavy side layer? Ah, sure, why not? I didn't know where to put that little observation, that bon mot, so I just threw it in here. Ah, so you got it? Oh, fantastic. Let's talk about what we listen to this week. Ah, for the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1968 original Broadway cast album, which was recorded in May 1968 and released shortly thereafter, going on to sell three million copies by December 1969. It also charted at number one on the Billboard 200, an achievement no Broadway cast album has claimed since. I also watched the 1969 Tony Awards performance of 3500, What a Piece of Work is Man, and The Flesh Failures, let the sunshine in. Benny, can we get a clip of Harry Belafonte's introduction for that performance? Thank you very much, Benny. This year, three men from our planet will go to the moon. The rest of us are going to have to make it down here with each other. In this period of the world's history, polarization of background and attitude is making communication between people more than usually difficult. The theater must take its responsibilities very seriously. Almost the last refuge must commit itself to being a center of hope where we can see the truth, where we can see what man is, where we can see what the glory of man is and what he aspires to be. Scientists deal in logic, and I have the faith that they will get some of us to the moon. But there is more than logic in the theater. The theater deals with passion and emotion. We live in emotional times. Artists are emotional people. So listen to them, friends. From the young soldier's plea in the revolutionary 1776, we turn now to America 200 years later. Michael Butler's equally revolutionary hair and the impassioned plea of today's young people. Thank you very much again, Benny. Oh, I wanted to ensure we heard at least a bit of this intro because Mr. Belafonte brings a proper sense of weight to what Hare aims to address. 
namely the subject of war, the connection he draws between the young embattled soldiers of 1776 and those going into Vietnam in Hare may seem like an obvious one, but I never considered it before. 1776 and Hare may have differing viewpoints on the goals of war and what it means to give one's life for your country, but both musicals understand that the chief product of war is the corpse. We pay for victory in corpses. That's how war works. There's a fascinating moment during this performance when we cut to a camera angle from the middle of the house, and from that angle we see how the wild, unrestrained energy of the cast stands in stark contrast with the stillness of the black tie audience. It's a sea of utterly motionless heads. No one is physically vibing with the beat. It leads me to wonder what is going on in the minds that make up this crowd. Is anyone enjoying themselves? And when the audience does eventually break into applause, is it out of genuine appreciation or obligation? The relationship between a cast and its audience always intrigues me, but the uneasy one displayed here truly gets my gears turning. Theater audiences are hard to rouse. They're used to being spectators, not participants. But there's more to the stiff posture of these Tony voters than commonplace awkwardness. Another observation for you, I really appreciate how everyone in the original Broadway cast looks like they just stepped out of the last days of their childhood. These are kids. None of them look to be over 21, and that's crucial when it comes to casting this piece, because when you're within that 18 to 21-year-old spectrum, you have, and I'm admittedly speaking quite generally here, a limitless supply of energy as well as a passionate, sharp-as-flint POV. You're also looking upon the vast landscape of the the world for the first time, again speaking generally, and the mixture of wide-eyed awe and horror that comes with that visibility would greatly inform the portrayal of a young hippie in the 1960s. Do not give me a bunch of hippies in their late 20s and early 30s, and do not cast a bunch of traditionally attractive hunks and bombshells. I want my hippies grungy, I want them baby-faced, I don't want to see no eight-packs, okay? And hippies aren't skinny by default, so maybe pass that along to the casting director as well. More do's and don'ts when it comes to casting. Don't concern yourself with finding people who are super polished singers and actors. Crisp pronunciation and power notes delivered right from the diaphragm will not help hair feel authentic. If anything, the more trained and on point you are, the more this show will feel like a Brady Bunch variety hour version of the 60s. The hippies should be young, but they shouldn't be cute. They should be funny, but they shouldn't be comedians. They should be sexual, but they shouldn't be play boys or vamps. They are tripping and stumbling their way through an era that has yet to be codified or monetized, so let them be truly strange, shaggy, gangly, and awkward. Finally, I listened to the 2009 Broadway Revival cast album. The sound mix for the 2009 album offers a greater sense of clarity when it comes to the lyrics, which I appreciated, but the overall effect of this revival is cornier, more antiseptic, and pop than I would have liked. That's what I was just talking about. These actors are technically more polished, but it really comes off as a performance. It doesn't feel very authentic at all. And this especially rings true during I Got Life, a performance 
performance, which brought to mind any number of gooey, instantly forgettable American Idol auditions. Imagine my lack of surprise when I found this revival counted not one, but two American Idol finalists among its cast. You cannot fall to these instincts of mine. This 2009 album ends with wildly unnecessary reprises of Hair and Let the Sunshine In, a decision that already seems indulgent before you learn how the sunshine reprise is slower than when you first heard it. No thank you. Read the room, know when to get gone already. If you need to sit down with Hair, sit down with the OBC album and forget about the 2009 revival. The only people who need the 2009 edition of Hair are the people who like their hippies to sound like cruise ship performers. Groovy, baby! Yeah! Another mojito, please, garçon! I paid $3,000 to get on this fucking boat, and I'm getting my money's worth! Muffy, give me a hand job in the cigar lounge, will ya? Oh, oh! I did consider listening to Disinherited, a studio recording from 1969 that serves as a supplement to the OBC album, as well as the 2018 London Revival cast album that celebrated the show's 50th anniversary, but then I thought, uh, nah, I'm not gonna do that. Two hair recordings in one week is more than enough for this musical man. I have seen the 1979 film adaptation, which somehow manages to streamline the plot down to a series of sitcom vignettes and I feel no need to discuss it at length. All I can remember is that at one point, the hippies crash a fancy party, and it's woefully unfunny. Also, Berger and Claude wind up switching places by accident, and Berger winds up getting killed in Vietnam, which is equally horrifying and asinine. It could happen. Uh, could it? I don't think so. Let's talk about the score, shall we? We'll begin with a question. Was Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein, I should say, was he wrong to ding Hair as nothing more than a collection of list songs? Just how many list songs are there in Hair anyway? Oh, let's find out. There's Hashish and Sodomy, which Apple Music translated as shitty when transferring all of my music. There's Colored Spade, Ain't Got No, and Ain't Got No Grass. But wait, there's more. I Got Life, LBJ, Hair, which doesn't begin as a list song, but because comes one fairly quickly. Harry Krishna slash BN, and last but not least, Walking in Space, which makes room for a list in case anyone was, you know, really jonesing for one more list. That's a hell of a lot of list songs, none of which make room for meaningful character insight or growth, so I gotta say I'm with Bernstein on this one. Cranking out list songs betrays an unwillingness or inability to confront what's really going on with your characters. This is not to say Hare is completely detached from the human experience, far from it, but think of it this way. The ideological does not shed light on the personal, but the personal does enrich the ideological. I like the way that sentence sounds, but it probably doesn't make any real sense. I'll speak more plainly. The more time you dedicate to the meat and potato needs and wants of your characters, the more we'll be able to relate to them and care about their causes. Having a hippie come on stage and list a bunch of drugs doesn't teach me anything about that hippie. So the hippie loves drugs. So what? Tell me why they love drugs so much. Let's start there. Ah, this hippie is singing about a variety of sex acts. Cool, who doesn't love sex? But can we move on, please? 
It calls to mind the character of Courtney from High School Musical, the musical, the series. As our Patreon donors will know, I talk about Courtney in our Wildcats Everywhere series. All of Courtney's dialogue in that show is some variation on, I'm a feminist, destroy the patriarchy. But it's essentially empty and meaningless because we never learn anything about her personhood. Look, hopefully you get where I'm coming from. My goal is to be as articulate as possible. Benny, let's get a little bit of Aquarius. When the moon is in the seventh house And Jupiter aligns with Mars Then peace will guide the planets And love will steer the stars This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius The age of idea how Aquarius even functions as a song after 50 long years of being wrung out by baby boomers. Does it have any meaning? Can we ever hope to pick up and follow the thread back to its origins? Don't get me wrong, it's a positively groovy anthem, but the lyrics ring as Lewis Carroll nonsense, and all it evokes is a crummy commercial for a 60s rock compilation. Yes, we have all of your favorite songs, Mr. and Mrs. Hippie America. Let the Caesar dressing flow and crack open another strawberry wine cooler, because the dawn of Aquarius never has to end when you own our four CD set. Oh, once upon a looking for Donna time, there was a 16-year-old virgin. Oh, Donna, oh, oh, Donna, oh, 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 looking for my Donna. I just come back from looking for Donna, San Francisco, psychedelic urchin. Oh, Donna, oh, oh, Donna, oh, oh. essentially impossible to get on the wavelength of a song like Donna because despite the fact that it has a rambunctious and infectious energy, it's catchy as all fuck. It is nonetheless about a man obsessing over a 16-year-old virgin. And I know, I know, believe me, believe me, I know, I know, I know, it was a different time. You don't get it, man. We were having a different conversation in the 60s. It wasn't crazy or disgusting to want to fuck a 16-year-old virgin. The 60s were all about discarding such taboos, luring young ladies out of their suburban homes and into the sun-kissed cornfields of Woodstock for an old-fashioned squirt in the dirt. 
Seriously, though, and setting aside the positively horrifying term I just added to Urban Dictionary, what audience listens to this and is able to get past the lyrics? Oh, I just like the music. The words aren't important. Okay, dum-dum. I'm a colored spade, a nigger, a black nigger, a jungle bunny, jigaboo, coon, pickin' any mow mow. Uncle Tom and your mama, little black Sambo, cotton picking swamp, guinea junk man, shoe shine boy, elevator operator, table cleaners at hard and hard art, slave voodoo zombie, your banky lips, black nose tap dancer, resident of Harlem and president of United States of Love, said president of United States of Love, she. And now a scene. The players, Jerome Ragney and James Rado. The time, the 1960s. The place, a dingy workspace in New York's East Village. Lights up. Hey, Jerome. Yeah, Jimmy. So, this song we're writing, Colored Spade. Yeah, what about it? Well, I just can't come up with any more racist terms for the black man. I I feel like I'm all tapped out. (laughs) I hear you, buddy. Say, did we use the N-word? Oh, we used the N-word. We blew that water right up top. Darn. Say, maybe Mr. McDermott will have some ideas. Let's call him. No, 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 no. I don't think we should bother Mr. McDermott. You know how he likes his privacy. True, true. Ooh, I've got it. Voodoo. Can we do something with voodoo? That sounds great. Voodoo, zombies, witchcraft. I love it. This is going to be a lot of fun for a black actor to perform. You're right about that. But, uh, what does it mean? What's that? The song. What's the point of it again? Uh, well, hell if I know. He's, a he's a black guy. Yeah, black guy. And he's, you know, angry. Sure. So, you know, black guy, angry, and, uh... Yeah, okay. Right? Makes sense to me. Want to get burgers down at the Chubby Onion? The Chubby Onion's open again? Oh, did I not tell you? The Chubby Onion is totally open again. The Chubby Onion's open again. Hot damn, I am gonna murder those burgers. I hope the black guy is working today. I want to say his name is... Mason?
be hard falls a bit flat for me musically. It stumbles into listlessness when it's aiming for melancholy, but lyrically I find it's pretty rich and rewarding. Both it and Frank Mills are delivered by young women who are recognizing the limits of the free love movement. They've put their faith in a community that promised to protect and comfort them, but this family is just as imperfect and unstable as those they left behind. When Sheila sings Easy to be Hard, she is, in her own quiet way, questioning and criticizing the men who make up this movement. These men are loud, they dedicate a lot of breath to railing against the war machine and championing human connection, they love the admiration of the crowd, but when it comes to individual connection, they are hopeless. Sheila is hurt, she's isolated, and no one will be able to pull her out of that hole but herself. It's a lesson we learn as we feel our way through young adulthood, and I like ruminating on it. Love yourself first, Sheila. Do not trust the men of the commune. Do not trust the men of the commune. Do not trust the men of the commune! I met a boy called Frank Mills on September. as a counterpoint to the bruised outlook of Easy To Be Hard. In that song, Sheila has already come to accept that she's been burned by the empty promise of a man's love. The weight of experience informs her smoky, heavy vocals. By contrast, when Chrissy tells her tale of the beautiful but absent Frank Mills, her voice practically quivers while trying to remain light and optimistic. Chrissy knows something about her time with Frank feels off. She may suspect that he had sex with her and stole 
stole her last two dollars before hitting the road, but an ember of hope still glows within her. Maybe he'll come back if he hears I'm looking for him. Maybe he'll come back if he knows I love him. Shelley Plimpton's performance squeezes my heart and makes me ache. I want to hug this poor girl and give her an egg salad sandwich. If we were to keep one song from Ragni, Rado, and McDermott's score and ditch the rest, you know we'd have to preserve Frank Mills. It's a lovesick anthem for the ages. The rest we is noted, the flesh failures let the sunshine in is meant to color hair's final moments with shades of joy. It's a celebration of life in the face of death, a demand for real change from America's youth. But does it have to stop there? Allow me to put on my conical director's cap once again. All right, so, uh, you, got, you got me? You got me? I've got my cap on. Listen, pay attention. All right, so, the hippies are dancing, right? Claude is dead, huh? He's on the ground. It's quite sad. But the hippies carry on in spite of this great loss. Suddenly, from the sky, are you listening? Rain. Rain. Buckets of rain, baby. The hippies wash the dirt from their faces. Oh, they let the rainwater cascade over their bodies. They tear away their loincloths and beads, and they trade that clothing for... Are you ready for this? They trade their hippie clothing for 1980s business attire. That's right, power suits, shoulder pads, neckties, high heels. And throughout all of this, Claude remains dead. I know, I'm a genius. Oh, come on, all right, enough with the applause. Ring, 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 oh, what's that sound? It's a wake-up call, boomers. You're not celebrating Woodstock and voting for Donald Trump on my watch. That does it when it comes to our deconstruction of the hair score, and now let's get a word from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Oh, hello there. It's me, Julie Taymor. Hi, how you doing? Uh, do you mind if I take a sip of this 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee? I'll be right with you in a second. Okay. I like to swish it out of my mouth because it's nice and hot and piping. Let me just put this down. Uh, cut the uh, cut the little sound out. I don't, wanna, I don't want the sound of my mug hitting the ground to be in the mix, okay? Uh, well, I'm going to do it in three. One, two, three. 
Okay, I trust that you took that out, Benny boy. Okay, thank you. So I'm Julie Taymor. Hello, famous puppeteer and theater director. I just wanted to uh, pop in and talk about 5678 8 Coffee for a moment. 5678 8 Coffee is uh, the only uh, drink that I trust. It's the drink that I rely on. We might, You might say we have a codependent relationship, the coffee and I. Here's the thing, you can't trust anyone in this world. People, you can't trust people, okay? I used to think that I could trust people, but uh, then I got burned on Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. And then I thought I could turn to my puppets. Okay, so... Uh, here, as you can see, Benny, uh, they won't be able to see here, but I'm surrounded uh, by these beautiful puppets, these masks. Uh, they're all made out of wood, uh, but they all have little uh, little faces. And I used to talk to the faces. I would, you know, I would uh, pour myself into them. And, uh, you know, eventually I realized, <laughs> wait a minute, no one's talking back. No one's talking back. I'm not getting anything out of this. If I'm going to have a one-sided conversation with anything, it's going to be a mug of five, six, seven, eight coffee. I talk into the billowing steam as it rises and encircles my head. It ensnares my skull in a misty fog that shields me from the lies and the empty promises of men and women who walk about me. Oh, Julie, you're such a genius. Oh, Julie, you're such a monster. Oh, Julie, you're so brilliant. Oh, Julie, you're fired. You know what? I don't have time for human beings, and I don't have time for puppets. Puppets are cold. You know what I mean? When you reach out and touch a puppet, it's just cold plastic, cold wood. But when you reach into a mug of five, six, seven, eight coffee, your hand gets burned. There's danger. There's thrill, there's risk. I used to find danger and risk and thrill in the theater, and now I just stay at home and I read the works of Shakespeare. Ah, Shakespeare. Ah, you love, you love a good Shakespeare, don't you? But uh, come on, Benny, come on. What's your favorite Shakespeare, Benny? What's your favorite? As you like it. Okay, all right, fine, as you like it. Bit of a basic choice, if you ask me. But uh, I like to read as you like it every now and then. I, I can read that in about 15 to 20 minutes. And I do it with a cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee, and I stare when I empty a cup, or should I say, when I stare into an empty cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee, and I stare at the dregs, and I see the future of this world. I see the future of this world. Everyone's gonna be gone except me. <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna be here with me and the puppets. I'm gonna burn the puppets for one. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a little pot of five, six, seven, eight coffee atop the fire as I watch my puppets burn, burn, burn. They shall heat up the latest of my lovely mugs. Ah, yes, it's true. It'll be like the Twilight Zone, that Twilight Zone where the, the old man was in the library, but it's going to be a happy ending for Julie. Finally, Julie's going to have her own happy ending. Oh, 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 okay, five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it. And I know everyone says that phrase weekend and weekend. But I'm telling you right now, don't trust anyone in your life. Don't trust humans. Don't trust puppets. Just trust the coffee. Five, six, seven, eight coffee. You can count on it, baby. <laughs>
Actually, a chorus line feels a little too linear to be called a concept musical, but I'm quibbling. We all have our own, you know, fluid, liquid definitions of what a concept musical is, and we need to focus on hair, right? Back to hair. Hair has value in 2020, but only if it's staged in good faith and not as an opportunity to glamorize an era that has, let's be frank, Mills, already been romanticized to a disgusting degree. Anyone who chooses to interpret the ending of hair as a rosy exultation rather than a desperate cry for salvation, a cry that largely was not answered but drowned out, is choosing comfort over a punch to the gut. Drag hair into the 21st century and find out what it has to say about the rise and fall of political movements, the never-ending battle between those who call for peace and those who call for war. Do not slap a peace sign sticker on this motherfucker or allow it to live in a cozy bubble. You got me, bub? Look, at the end of the day, I respect hair. Do I like it? No, not really. I find it to be sort of boring and repetitive. But many would say I'm boring and repetitive. That doesn't mean we should throw the musical man out with the bathwater, does it? No, it most certainly does not. And so we must keep hair around as an important point of reference. Now, in 1969, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was 1776, and the other shows nominated that year were Promises, Promises, and Zorba. Hair should have won, simply for being radical. It may not be as entertaining as Promises, Promises. Give me a production of that over Hair any day of the week. I mean, come on already, let's be real. But Hair went out of its way to wrestle with the form, and awarding those efforts back in 69 would have made sense. Step aside, 1776. The Hippies are coming! The hippies are coming! Little Paul Revere joke for ya, very little. Let us now take a moment to rank Hair against all of the other musicals we've talked about on the podcast. I am going to put Hair at number 26, between Juan Darien, a carnival mask, at number 25, and The Lion King at number 27. If you want to get a full rundown on how these shows have been ranked so far, go to Twitter. We are at Musical Man Pod. Click on the pinned tweet. You'll go to a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab. You'll see that ranking, baby. Show-related ephemera. All right, first things first. I'm aware of the hair sequence from the 40-year-old virgin. I've never seen the film. I tried watching this scene on its own, and I got nothing out of it. So let's just move on. No offense to the virgin maniacs who may be listening. I found a vintage psychedelic commercial for the Peace Corps that's set to Aquarius, but the audio is atrocious, so we won't be hearing that today. Needless to say, it's ironic to find a song from hair being used to promote any sector of the U.S. government. I also came across a Burger King ad from the late 90s that uses Let the Sunshine In to advertise its breakfast menu, but I don't think that's worth our time either. They didn't even bother changing the lyrics. Here are some new lyrics for you. Bacon and egg, cheese croissant witch. I mean, come on. This isn't rocket science, people. Dedicate half an hour to the work. Do the work. Liza Minnelli appeared on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1969 to perform Frank Mills. That's something we could certainly talk about. Someone had the idea to have Liza seated in front of an enormous mannequin that was made to look up like a motorcyclist. So it's like she's riding on the back of a motorcycle while facing in the opposite direction of the guy operating the motorcycle. The mannequin doesn't have hair, so when the smoke from this motorcycle billows around its 
smooth, white, bald head. It's like Liza is being chauffeured by Ghost Rider. She looks unbelievably bored. Oh, I guess, I guess the song does mention that Frank Mills wears a white crash helmet, which would explain the chrome dome on that mannequin, but it still looks like Ghost Rider to me. Ah, okay, so here we are, here we are. Now we're talking. Patty, uh, no, 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 sorry, Patty's not here. <laughs> I keep looking up and expect to see Patty and Benny there. Benny, can we get the audio from this commercial we found for 1999's Spirit of the 60s compilation album? It features a cover of Hair from the Cow Sills and the Fifth Dimensions cover of Aquarius slash Let the Sunshine In. Take it away. If you're going the 60s were a time of strong emotions and social change, and the music spoke. Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair. Now, Cornerstone Promotions brings back the spirit of the 60s with the greatest songs of an unforgettable era. To everything, The 60s brings you 34 hit songs which live on as symbols of free expression. Call this toll-free number now for Spirit of the 60s. Two cassettes, 1998. Two CDs, 26.98 plus 550 for shipping and handling. Have your credit card ready and call now. How does it feel to have your youth sealed in plastic and sold back to you for $26.98, boomers? How does it feel to watch actors mug for the camera while flashing the peace sign? Does it make you reach for that trusty bottle of Pepto-Bismol? It should. Seriously, though, the mugging in this commercial is truly embarrassing. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator, I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, Don't Tread on Miso Soup. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Holy shit. Well, well, well. We have landed on one of the most successful Broadway musicals of all time. This is a big subject, and it's just in time for the film's Blu-ray release. I believe that is coming out on video and digital very soon. You may, maybe you've already guessed what this show is. It's from 1983, the same season that gave us Blues in the Night and Merlin. It ran for 7,400 and 85 performances, it won the Tony Award for Best Musical, and that show is Cats, baby, Cats, meow, 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 Cats, 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 meow! <laughs> so we will we will be talking about Cats next week. Oh, goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I, I, I knew it was coming. I knew those cats were coming for me, and now they're here. Meow, meow, we're here. Meow, meow, meow. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. You can donate one three, five, or ten dollars a month, and I would greatly encourage you to consider donating at least one dollar a month. If you go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod and donate a dollar a month, 
month, I will be so grateful to you. Imagine if every single listener donated a dollar a month through Patreon. Oh, I'd be swimming in dough, and I'll tell you how I'm going to use that dough to benefit the show in just a moment. If you donate one dollar a month, you will get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's do that now. Thank you so much for donating Mark S., Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You could be a part of that group if you donate one dollar a month. You will also, as a one dollar a month donor, get bonus episodes every now and then covering such subjects as the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, the film, uh, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, my full review of Cats, and this is just dropping today, the same day this is appearing in your main feed. On our Patreon feed, we now have a bonus episode all about Emma, the musical adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater. We have a lot more bonus episodes coming soon for all of you $1 a month donors, so consider it, consider it. Now, if you go up one tier and you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, but you also get a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, and you get access to our ongoing Wildcats Everywhere series, which is all about high school musical. It's bi-weekly. We're talking about high school musical, the musical, the series right now. It's true. Oh, well, well, you're asking, well, 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 what if I donate $5 a month? Well, you get everything I've already described, and you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You get to tell me what to do. You get access to season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, and you get access to our ongoing Broadway in Chicago review series, for which I discuss uh, all of the shows that come through Chicago as part of the Broadway in Chicago brand. We've already talked about the play Oslo, but we've also talked about the musicals Mean Girls, Once on this Island, and brand new episode dropping today. Today for $5 a month patrons. And it's all about summer, the Donna Summer musical. It's true. Finally, we have the $10 a month tier. You can't go any higher than this. You get everything I've already mentioned, plus the Snub Club, season one of the Snub Club, 12 episodes about musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Now, what musicals do you talk about? Good question. We talk about Amelie, Merrily We Roll Along, Flahooly, American Psycho, Be More Chill, Jekyll and Hyde, Allegiance, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, The Bridges of Madison County, A Doll's Life, Aida, and we round it out, we closed out that first season with Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, to answer my question from earlier, where does all of this money go? It goes toward the purchase of cast recordings that I don't already own, but would be viable sources for our podcast. Uh, it also helps me to pay for movie rentals, movie adaptations of the musicals we're talking about, and it helps to offset the cost of being hosted through Podbean. I also support other Patreon pages for other podcasts, so you should also know that that money is going on to support other people's work, other people's creative content. So there you go. If we ever bring in $100 or more in total monthly donations, I will immediately begin production of M3, The Movie Musical Man, a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. So again, consider giving at least $1 a month. Get us closer to that $100 a month stretch goal, and let's get that M3 series started. I'm very excited as to when we will... I'm excited as to when we will start. That sentence makes no sense. Moving on. Oh, uh, I have big news. I have big news. Yes, through Apple Podcasts, we now have 30 reviews via Apple Podcasts. Yay! Huzzah! Huzzah! Thank you to everyone who did the work. You know what I mean? If you listen to the show through Apple Podcasts and you wrote a five-star review, you did the work! So thank you for getting us to this landmark, and that means I'm going to record an episode all about Descendants, Descendants 2, 
2 and Descendants 3. That's right, the entire Disney trilogy covered in one episode. I don't have a firm timeline on that. I do want to make sure that we cover some other things first, but that will be coming. Do not Worry about that. I keep my promises. This check is going to get cashed. You can also stream the show at musicalmanpod.podbean.com and Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, Athirshan, and good night. Meow meow. doing it's called rocking out you wouldn't understand dad you're not with it i used to be with it but then they changed what it was now what i'm with isn't it and what's it seems weird and scary to me it'll happen to you no way man we're gonna keep on rocking forever 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 forever